Hi, this is Kenny. And this is Mark. And this is All I Want to Do is Talk About Madonna. Album 12, track 12. Like it or not. Charging towards the end, baby. Charging? Baby. We're here. She's, she's charging on the song. She is stomping, stopping, stomping towards the exit to the club. She has messages to impart, credos to leave us with, mics to drop. She's brought the guitar back out. Yeah, that guitar is back. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before we get into any of that, we should introduce our special guest today, Todd yes. Flaherty, multi-hyphenate actor, writer, director, filmmaker, um, who Provincetown uh, denizen. Yes, um, who has a a gorgeous film called Chrissy Judy that is out available to watch on multiple platforms, I believe, and um, which we'll talk about more later. But we're really here to talk about Madonna and like it or not. But welcome, Todd, to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk about Madonna, specifically this album. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because everyone everyone we've talked to has been like, oh my God, Confessions on a Dance Floor is my album. How did you find this record? Where were you in your life when you did? What? How, how did you find your way to it? Well, I had just moved to New York, so I was a baby gay because this was 2005, right? Yeah. 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 So I was, and I remember just hearing like maybe one or two songs like hung up um, and, and sorry. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, you know, listening to those songs. But um, this was like, you know, when you started to buy hard copy CDs and I would like, you know, walk around New York with my CD man. Um, mm -hmm. I, for some reason, didn't ever get the album. And it wasn't until probably like 2015 or 2016 that I listened to the whole thing all the way through once like, you know, bigger streaming platforms came out. And I guess I was listening to it on Spotify or something like that. And I just remember kind of going through like my own little spiritual awakening at that time and thinking like, this is such a great album that is like both disco dance heavy, but also like really fucking spiritual. And like, um, yeah, I just, I think I was at a time in my life where like, I was, like I said, searching for like my own sense of spirituality. And I um, was learning a little bit more about Madonna at that time and, you know, Kabbalah and all that stuff. And uh, I was just like, oh my God, this is so amazing. Yeah. Yeah, well, that that resonates so much with what we've been talking about this whole cycle because we we have this theory that Confessions is a spiritual album in disguise, like it's disguised like a gay disco album, but it's mm -hmm. actually an album about spirituality and finding light and and positivity and finding connectivity and and true like spiritual like go on a, a true spiritual journey and especially by the end of this album, which is where we're at, she's really pivoted away from like I'm going to try to stop focusing on fame and fortune as the ways to achieve my goals and really try to find a new pathway to provide legacy and importance in the world and um and what really will fill my soul, you know. Mm. And a kind of of now I have to do the work. Like I'm going to do the work to to kind of achieve an enlightenment and she's also challenging i think everybody through songs like jump and you know how you how to to um do that for themselves as well it, it's it's both a 
an album of warnings and an album of truths and confessions. And also it's an album of like, like challenges in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think like future lovers became my anthem like a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And then um, what is it? Let it will be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that that is such, has such a direct correlation to this last song personally. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. 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 Cause I feel like the whole point of this last song is not only like her own sense of empowerment, but like also I used to think of it as like a, to be continued. It felt like a really, it was an interesting, strong song to end on because it wasn't as dance heavy as everything else was. Um, but it almost had this feeling of like, you were, you're expecting something next after it when you're listening to the album in total. Yeah. And so yeah. when you're like, Oh, that's the end, but you're like, no, that's actually not the end. It's the beginning. It's like next. Yeah. Yes. I used to think it was like a to be continued, but it's really like her saying like, and here we are in this next phase of like entering Nirvana or whatever, you know? Yeah. It's so funny because people always talk about, you know, um, her point of view is so unique, but rarely people ever talk about her intention. And I feel like she's like one of our most profoundly intentional artists in all of her work. And, um, I think that like this album specifically is like there there's there's such an intention set behind it because like the the dance mixed in with the spirituality is like also a way to say like the whole point of life is to express your joy and so like it can be both things you know yeah um, yeah I love that I just thinking about these final songs in the last like I think in this era of like uh music american life and then confessions and in a way even though we are this is the beginning of a new season for us in a way these three albums really are a specific period of time and each of them end with like um music ends with gone right where she's like um by the time you catch up to me i'm our by the time you get this album i'm already going to be on to my new thing like you don't know who i am you have no connection to me actually which is really fascinating thing to think about Mm -hmm. like and then and then easy ride is like i don't want an easy ride i want to achieve stuff through hard work and i want that i want to be able to feel that so i know what i've earned and then this is like you know and both of those are ballads so this is the first time we've had a, a song in a while that's been sort of an upbeat song and she is moving us into like not only do I don't want the easy ride, but I also don't give a shit what you think about me while I do it, (laughs) Um, which is pretty awesome. And like, and also that in fact, it's not whether you, you care for me or not, you're really going to have no choice in the end because I'm better than all the other options. (laughs) Um, So you should actually follow me if you are smart, you know, which I kind of like about it too. She's like better the devil, you know, you know, and Mm. that, actually, you know, you're going to find your love for me will grow, right? That you're going to find that actually what I'm doing and saying, even if uh, once you strip away all the other stuff that yes, my intentions are true and real and pure. Um, and that, um, if you can follow me, you're going to follow a path to enlightenment, which I think is really interesting. I also Um, love when she, um, uh, aligns us with being the snake. I love that we're the mm-hmm. snake. She's the garden and we're the yes. snake. I'm always like, mm. oh, Madonna. Oh, are we Adam and Eve? Or are we the, we're the devil. We're the devil. Mm. Um, yeah. Do you take, um, so how, how does this song play? Because, you know, you're, you're a well-regarded performer in Provincetown and all over the place. And like, what do you, how do you use kind of Madonna as a performer? Like what does, because this song really is a, a, a great, anthem for in for artistic individuality i think yeah ways yeah i think um you know just in in essence like what i take from her is her spirit which is um i think what i admire most about madonna is that she really like her voice is her gospel not like her instrument voice but like her artistic voice is her gospel and i find myself so often saying like you know i put together these drag shows and i'm i'm trying to figure out like okay what so often i find myself saying like what's the audience gonna like what are they gonna align with what are they gonna laugh at where are they gonna find moments of joy and entertainment and when i when i'm stressing out about it most is when i'm trying to figure out what they want and when I just say, well, what do I want? What do, what do I think will be fun? What do I think will be joyful? What's exciting to me? And I lean into that. That's when the shows are the best they can be. And I feel like that's kind of what Madonna is. And like, it's 
what she wants. And it's kind of the whole point of this last song too. Like you, you brought up the lyrics. I, I wrote it down. Yeah. I'll be the garden. you be the snake. All of my fruit is yours to take. And basically like, she's saying like, don't worry, I got stuff coming for you. Like, like I am plentiful. I will still be here when you're gone <laughs> every season, like bringing new growth. And yeah. you can either choose to relish and, and enjoy in the fruit that I bear or don't. It doesn't matter to me because I will still exist. And I feel like that's the energy that I try to cultivate as a performer and um, as a writer. And, you know, it's like I always tell people. Uh, years ago, I did this web series and um, I was, you know, meeting with people to try to turn it into a TV show. And this agent was like, oh, you really got your finger on the pulse. And I was like, no, 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 no. You have your finger on the pulse. I am the pulse. I'm the heartbeat. <laughs> mm, I love that. And that's kind of like, that's her whole MO. Like she is the heartbeat, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think the song really explores also the responsibility she feels for that too. Like mm. there, the, the acknowledgement of it. it and and well, I remember when I heard it the first time I was like, I was like, this is such a badass move. And I'm like, Madonna's got such an ego. And you know, I'm thinking to myself, wow, like this is such a badass mic drop to this album. It's like, fuck you. I'm amazing. Cleopatra had her way. actually and maybe i'm like giving her more credit than um you know maybe she is a little more egotistical than i'm giving her credit for but i actually kind of read into these references as like these were very all-powerful women who have gone down in history as like you know some of the most revered women historically that we will ever remember yeah. but i also think the point of saying it is like they were they were the vessels of the of the moment you know and so i think that's kind of the whole point of this song for her too is like you you referenced it earlier like she's just the vessel for the work she's the vessel for the message um and so if she's taking on this greatness as cleopatra matahari then it's it's not because um she thinks she's like better than uh or godlike in any way but it's because like she's taken on the challenge of the moment and what's been like gifted to her that's yeah. kind of like, that's the messaging that I got behind it. That like, you know, you can't be mad at Madonna for her messaging because it's not her, it's not hers. It's like the universe's message through her, if that makes sense. Yeah. And also, I mean, I think I that totally makes sense. And also sort of culturally, like, or historically, the female figure of power, you know, Cleopatra or, or Matahari of like, oh, whether you like them or not you know, is not really the problem, whether they were good or bad. It's like, yeah. you like, and she's like, you can't have the femme without the, uh, Batal. Batal, right. <laughs> so you can't lyric in the whole record. <laughs> I love, you can't have the femme without the fatal. But she says it like, she doesn't say it exactly. No, like, she says it in this like, fatal. Fatal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's trying to make the rhyme. She's starting to do the accent. And <laughs> can't have the femme without the fatal. But I think that's, you know, like, Oh, can the Madonna whore, like you can't, you know, you can't have one without the other. You can't sort of let, you know, this person just be one thing. They have to be both or they're going to be perceived as both. And so you're going to see me through multiple lenses. Which one is it? Or does it, I, I don't care which one you see me through or, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. yeah. It's perspective. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I like this idea of like, like it or not. Like, have you ever said that to somebody in your life? Like, are you like, Take it or leave it, like it or not. 
Or or has anybody ever said that to you? Like I have actually started saying it to myself. You know, I think that's the that's where I have um I, I moved up to P-Town. I was in New York for 15 years and I moved up here for what was supposed to be 10 weeks. And that was three plus years ago. And um, I think a lot of what being up here has brought me is this like newfound sense of spirituality and oneness with something that is like greater than myself, which I'm still trying to figure out. But a lot of that has to do with um, letting go of the word like should. And so, you know, a lot of times I'm not having the conversation with other people saying, this is who I am. I'm having the conversation with myself saying like, it's okay that you're, you know, here and not there, or that you're choosing to pursue this and not that. Um, and, and it's where you're supposed to be right now. So I think like a, a lot of like the messaging feels very um, personal for me right now. Do you, have you given yeah. anyone an ultimatum? Cause oh, I yeah. feel like this song at the end is like, you know, please don't take offense, but you know, this is who I am, like it or not, like let's go. Have you have you guys and how do they respond when you're given like how 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 does it go when you when you've given someone an ultimatum? I mean, I feel like ultimatums never work, but I don't know. Todd, have you given I, I anyone think, an yeah, ultimatum? No, I, I actually have given people ultimatums. And again, I'll go back to I think the ultimatum is for you, it's not for the other person. Yeah. It's like yeah. it's uh, to me, an ultimatum is the person's breaking point and saying like, I can't move in this one direction anymore. So I need to set a boundary for myself. And um, I'm sure that sometimes people have been successful in giving ultimatums and it working in their favor. It's never worked for me. Um, <laughs> uh, I like to joke that I've had two and a half boyfriends and I gave my half boyfriend an ultimatum once. And that's why he was my half boyfriend. And um... <laughs> oh my. Oh my. Which half of him? <laughs> <laughs> half of the, the bad half. Yeah. Oh, boo. That's bad. Yeah. Uh -huh. That's bad. Well, well, that could transition very nicely. Chrissy <laughs> Judy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I actually did give Sheldon an ultimatum, my husband, about something that I now I don't know if I want to share, but maybe I'll share and decide if we share it later. But <laughs> no, I'm not going to share it. It's his story. But I did give him an ultimatum about his health and he heard me and it was sort of like either this gets corrected or I can't be in your life anymore. And he actually made a choice to stay in my life. So, um, so yeah, I guess it did work in that way. And I think that was for the betterment of our lives and relationship. Mm, that's um, great. Yeah. Yeah. I have a really good friend who um, I just got into this like bad habit with them where like every time I spoke to them, they would just complain about work. And finally, after like a year and a half, I was like, hey, when I see you and when we chat, I just don't want to hear about your job anymore. Like you either need to quit or, or, or like I just I can't be your sounding board for why work sucks. And yeah. um, I kind of stopped hearing from them for a while, but then they quit that job. And now we're like, you know, good buddies again. But um, I do think it's important, yeah, to give ultimatums as a sense for your own, like, you know, um, personal sanity yeah yeah mm. and i feel i and it also it's it's it, it's that idea of life is too short which madonna is also grappling with on this record she's grappling with mortality she's there's a there is a clock in, in this album that's ticking and she's she's like okay well if i've got a finite amount of time left how am I going to use it? And what am I going to spend my time on? And what am I not going to spend my time on? And I think we're yeah. all kind of in that place, certainly coming out of the pandemic. I feel like everyone's like doing great, making big, big, bold decisions because they really need to like feel ownership of their lives and what they're doing is, is, is moving forward. I think. I think yeah. that's so right. I mean, I do think too, it's like age, you know, yeah, she's yeah. 46, 47, 45, 46, 47 when she's making this album. And for me, that was around the time. And certainly when I hit 50, where I was like, I don't give a shit anymore. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, oh, that's not going to work out. It's okay. Uh, this is how I look. This is what I'm going to do. And you know what? You could either take it or leave it. Like, I, I'm never going to have that. I'm not going to do that. That's okay. You know? And so I think there is a sort of a, there's a freedom in that letting go of like, I don't have the energy to try to make this happen or to make you like me or to make this work. Yeah. You know? No, I have this joke with my friends where like, um, you know, the idea of like the Saturn return and your Jesus year, yeah. like your Jesus year is 33 and you're supposed to like, 
morph into like the best version of yourself, which, you know, um, who knows if that's true or not. But, um, but I joke with my friends that we all now have a confessions year, which is like 46, 47, when hopefully we'll be making like some of the greatest artistic work of our lives. So oh, it's true. No, oh, I it's love that. True. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I agree. It's a very fucking time around this time because I'm I'm 46 and I love it. I love it. I feel very in the driver's seat in a way that I don't think um, I gave myself permission to when I was younger. I was always mm. looking outside. I think there's a lot more external validation you're still looking for. And, you know, Madonna obviously has found that and is now like, well, what's it all for then? It's for the relationship I have with them. And what I can bring bring to it, um, and I think it, it's interesting because uh, to to talk about Chrissy Judy, uh, that 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 friendship has mm. a kind of like it or not quality to it, and it mm-hmm. and it really informs kind of what happens with those two characters, and 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 they're in these this you think they're in this. What I found so compelling about the film, and I'd love to hear how it came to be and all of that, but like this idea of these two friends who look like they're on the same in the same lane on the same road in in the first part of the film, and then they they were not ever really on that same road, and and how they kind of. Are I able think to that they of, were on the same road. At a certain point, so, and okay, then, but but not when but, we see them in the movie. Like they're already <laughs> starting to. Anyway, yeah, yeah, let, yeah. Let's, How did well, it come we, about? Well, wait, can we just can we just geek out about the movie for a second and talk about? Sure, the, we can talk just, about the movie. Can we just say like all the things we loved, like just or a few things, like and because I just want to. I mean, I think when um, we have a mutual friend through my friend Lauren, and when Lauren yes. said that she had knew you, and I was like, oh my god, I just saw your film and I was such a huge fan and I I, Sheldon and I watched it one night I was like this is such a beautiful film and it's done with like you know I'm I I will watch any queer film like I've watched every stupid queer film Mm -hmm. on Amazon you know that are all there you know what I mean like or gone to all the other gay sites where you can find a gay film and I'm always looking for ones of quality with heart and soul and depth and real character and real arc and your film you brought so much to this story that was like it was a real um you really investigated, you really let the characters grow and shine and reveal themselves and the vulnerability of the story mm-hmm. and the, just the artfulness of the way that you told it and that you really like, I'm just, I just want to, because you not only um, star in it, but you wrote it, you directed it. And did you edit it as well? I edited. <laughs> yes. That was yeah. strictly out of necessity, budgetary restraints. Yeah. And you have, and you have a brother who is the cinematographer and film, yes. like he's the camera opera. So yeah. Yes. So it's like a whole family affair as well. It, um, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and yeah. I'll, and I'll say this, I, I loved how beautifully shot it was with the black and white. I thought that that gave it this kind of classic kind of, of uh, quality to it. Um, there was a starkness and yet there, it's so beautiful in black and white. Thank and, you. and I, and I'm, I'm similar to, to, to Kenny. Uh, what I love about the film is it's about complicated people, not always the most likable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but it, it's also not an opportunity to sell stuff to us. And so many gay mo- queer movies are about selling things to us. Um, yeah, and I and I loved that how authentic it did feel, almost like we were eavesdropping on some of the conversations and some of the moments in it, and I love that about it. Um, and well, tell us that you know maybe yeah, tell yeah. us the, the our listeners too, like what's this film about and how yeah. you kind of came to it. <laughs> um, so Chrissy Judy is about uh, I I jokingly call it a platonic love story about a friendship breakup. Um, so it's about two drag queens who live in New York um, and what happens when one queen, Chrissy, decides to leave the business and leave New York and leave Judy behind to go pursue um, a romance in Philadelphia. And then the story really follows Judy as he's trying to figure out who he is without his best friend. Um, and then, you know, the subplot in there is like Judy's also trying to figure out how he can exist as a queer artist making queer art for queer people. Um, and he does that through drag. Um, but yeah, I guess, um, how did it come about? I, um, 
I had never done drag um, before I started writing the movie, <clears throat> but um, I wanted to write about, you know, what it is to make queer art for queer people. And, um, and uh, I had experienced friendships like this. I think that there's like, there's um, something very universal about specifically gay men who have these really intense non-sexual relationships with other gay men um, and how like precious and important those are because um, with those people is like how we learn to really like become our authentic selves um, without uh, the pressure of like romance, if that makes sense. Cause you're never like, when there's no romance involved, you're not editing yourself. Um, and so, um, yeah, so I just, I wanted to, I, I love queer film. I, I watch everything too. If there's something yeah. remotely gay, I'm like, what's, what are our stories? And what I find is that most of our stories are either coming out stories because that is like our universal thing or there's stories of unrequited love, um, or like more niche, they're like pandemic AIDS stories. And those are all like amazing, incredible stories that we will be able to continue to tell. Um, Chrissy Judy has been in 40 festivals internationally. And it's amazing. Like, you know, I was just at a festival in Italy a couple months ago and this director from Zimbabwe was there and it was like this, his coming out story, you know, and it's just like in this pressure cooker of an experience, you know, um, so it's amazing that there's always new ways to tell that, but I, that story, but I really, um, I had never seen anything about, you know, our Judy's, our best friends and, um, particularly what happens because we live in a culture that values romantic partnership over friendships. Um, and, uh, and I think like, you know, we're in this time and space right now where gay people are saying like, okay, well, what, what does a relationship look like for me? And, um, you know, if this heteronormative archetype was designed for straight men and straight women and that, you know, and we see that that's not even really working for them so much anymore. What do, what do romantic partnerships look like for us? And what do we do with those people in our lives who, um, who we don't have a physical relationship with? Um, so yeah, that's kind of where it all started. Um, I like to joke that I'm both Chrissy and Judy. And uh, yeah, Judy's not a very likable character, but I think that's the other thing that like, you know, so much of the work that's more mainstream out there now is trying to like make queer people relatable and likable. And um, I always find that there's this like archetype of like a bitchy queen and he's like the barista or like the shitty waiter or like the bad roommate. And so I was like, what happens if we follow this character through his life and figure out like what makes him so disagreeable and unlikable you know and like um so instead of seeing him in a small vignette i like put a bunch of those vignettes together and we see this person's whole life and it's like wow okay they're kind of going through a lot right now and feeling displaced and looking for their authentic voice and not being supported and you know so um those are all of my intentions behind making the film um and then making it black and white um was mainly because I just think it's such a universal story. I don't know if you ever read Dancer from the Dance, but it's one of my favorite books. And when I read it, I remember like, you know, it's set in sort of like late 70s Studio 54 era. And like, as I was reading, I just saw it in black and white in my head because it amazed me reading it as like a 20 something year old. Like I felt like it was such a current book, even though it was 30 years old at that point or whatever. And so I realized like these stories are timeless, you know? Um, and so I just felt like maybe making it in black and white would lend to this idea of like, my hope is that someone could watch this 10, 20 years from now and not really know when it was made. Um, we don't cement it anywhere politically or with pop culture references. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. A, a couple of things. First of all, I thought um, I I was thinking of Chrissy being the unlikable character. She springs mm -hmm. this on. Yes, Judy. yes, I agree. Like the next day, they're leaving for Philadelphia. All right, not bad, not bad. Oh my god. Hey, what are you doing? We are not de-dragging. We need to go back out there, network shows, get another gig here. I loved the show, Baby Girl. All ten of those people in the audience love that show. You can go and schmooze, but I am going back to the house. Oh, come on! We only get to exist in these gay enclaves a few nights a year. Judy? Fine. So listen, real quick, about tomorrow. Look. 
I've been trying to find a time to talk with you. Um, I know I said I'd stay for the day, but I need to be on the 8 a.m. ferry. You're joking. I'm sorry. Look, I've been trying to find a time to talk with you about this. Um, you know, Sean and I, we are back on the merry-go-round. We're trying to figure out what the possibility of a future looks like for us if we want to continue dating, which I do, and we decided what makes the most sense for us right now is that we'd be closer in proximity. So tomorrow, I'm meeting with HR to put in a request to transfer to the Philadelphia store. Want to commute to Philly for work? No. Judy, I'm moving there. <laughs> Fuck off. I'm sorry for springing it on you like this. I just didn't want to say anything before the show, and I was going to tell you at the beginning. Oh my God, are you serious? Philadelphia's never felt further away than this in this movie. They could be, you know, in Kansas in, uh -huh. in Philadelphia. Um, and what I really, I really loved about uh, what your examination was, um, I, I loved watching the struggle. Uh, particularly the economic struggle of a Judy mm -hmm. and what that means. We see, we don't see a lot of working class queer stories. They no, everybody they, has magic. Everyone's money. figured out their money situation yeah. uh -huh. off screen yeah. conveniently. Yes. <laughs> and so I loved, I loved watching that with those, uh, with the roommates. And and there's always kind of an issue about money, and um, and also Judy's. I was so moved by Judy's advocacy for the lost um, culture that mm. her performances are are um, utilized. They're performing classic songs, and you know, I feel like I feel like Judy would be somebody who would lecture somebody in bed about Blossom Deary and <laughs> and something of that nature, where it's like because because those performers, I mean, people who celebrate the classic American songbook are keeping those performers and those songs alive in in this kind of era of disposability. Oh yeah, way that's really was really moving to me, and and um. And the way that Judy sticks to that, I, I don't. She, she, he doesn't. He doesn't continue to. He doesn't turn it into a a a a, a, a Billie Eilish number or something. He sticks to what he's passionate about. I yeah, really I think that. that was really important to me because I think. Um, listen, I love RuPaul's Drag Race. I think it's great. We don't reference it in the film at all because I think that it's homogenized drag in this way that. Um, I know people I have, you know, really great friends, even in this community in Provincetown, who don't really like drag because they think that it is um, misogynistic and, you know, looks at women and paints them in this certain way. And I think that the art form of drag is so historied, um, but what it has evolved into really came from these men who were celebrating women, who were questioning their own gender expression. Um, and I think that, like, I we miss people who celebrate voices like Judy Garland and Bette Midler's and um, these artists who, you know, despite all the odds of being female at, at a certain time in their life, were able to not only like have find success, but express themselves. Um, so yeah, I, um, I, it was really important for me that like Judy stick to that, um, that, you know, the whole joke is that he's not like a dancer and he doesn't, do death drops and there's you know value in that i love watching shows like that but i think there's equal value in someone who can just get up there with the piano and um and sing a little you know irving berlin <laughs> yeah i mean that's true to who judy is right that's their like it or not like this is who mm -hmm. i am yeah um i also think you know for us this podcast for us is um obviously a labor of love, but it's also like about our friendship. I mean, mostly this is about how we, we met and became friends through Mad through our love of Madonna. And mm -hmm. through that, we've gone in this really deep 
journey together deep, deep. <laughs> and deep. at times challenging and i think like the thing you know i think with gay men too, tell me like, more to, no, I'm just <laughs> um, uh, i love sheldon that is the key i adore his husband and sheldon has it, grown to love mark yes i i have wooed sheldon to my side and i get you know so that's that's the, always the key actually i will say like sheldon said to me um the other day like mark is so much more you know quieter than he used to be when he came over and i was like oh well he's more comfortable with you now so he doesn't have to like you know come in the big uh, but anyway okay um but i think like you know one one of the things that i found so beautiful is there i think reconciliation at the end mm. of their friendship that they'll survive this that their friendship may look different but that they found another equal footing or a way to be separate but also be together like the last image of them together on the ferry you know, is such a beautiful indication of like, well, the friendship will endure in some way, I mm -hmm. think. Does that yeah. Yeah. It's actually kind of like this last song. It's like they are both resolved in who they are and who they've grown into. And I think they're leaving space and room to say like what we had. I think what, what was important for me was to leave it a little ambiguous, the end, um, because that's the way a lot of times these friendships evolve. And I have them too. You know, there are people who... Um, I still consider friends, even though I don't speak to every day um, or, you know, I, I leave space in my life in the way that I hope Chrissy and Judy do to say what we had was something that we'll never have again with another person. And I want to honor and respect that. Yeah. I do not currently have that friendship, but I'm going to leave room in the future for something new to develop and grow. And it, it might be even better than what it was before, but only time will tell. Um, and I kind of, yeah, I kind of feel that way about this last Madonna song. It's like, and I'll I'll let you know what's next. But what it, what is next is not something that you need to be concerned with right now. I'll be the garden, you'll be the snake. All of my fruit is yours to take. Better the devil that you know. Since we're talking about confessions on a dance floor, uh, Todd, do you have anything that you want to confess? Oh my God. Uh, and this okay. can be anything. This can be what you have you know to watch today if you want. I will conf confess something because I've like been diving in and talking about this with a really good friend of mine. Um, I came up here because I went through a really bad breakup. And I think I needed these last three years to really heal and the last couple of months i was joking with a friend saying like i for the first time and not like meeting people and immediately in the back of my head thinking like who is this person is this a viable candidate for a relationship like do i want to be in a relationship and for the first time ever i'm saying like maybe i don't need to be concerned with being in a relationship right now and maybe like what is the joyful experience for me is just being in a relationship with myself right now. And so, of course, I've told like two or three friends and they're like, you're going to meet someone. That's when you're going to meet someone. But I'm <laughs> exactly. really and like a bunch of people. It's funny how you put that energy out there. And then there are people who are like, hey, what's up? What are who are you? What are you doing? Um, but I'm really committing to that right now. And it feels really great. And so I guess my confession is like, I think for the truly, I feel like for the first time ever, um, not only am I single, but I'm really enjoying being single and like exploring who I am without the caveat of like being something to someone else, if that makes sense. It's really exciting. And I, I only say that because I hope other people explore that too. I think we have a lot of societal pressures to like find our person. And um, yeah, I feel so grateful for the friends in my life and my family. And I feel connected to people on such a deep way than I ever, like more, more so now than I ever have before. So that's my confession. That's a great confession. That's really God. nice. Yeah, yeah that's, that's really beautiful. good. That's really good. It remind mm -hmm. it makes mine stealing something really silly. Oh, <laughs> oh wait, wait. No, do that's you have actually a, better. 
What? Did, do, you, do you need to confess that you said Not today. No, I'm not, <laughs> not today. Not today. No, I had a confession, but I'm not going to say it now. I'm going to save it for another. I do want to confess something just so that you'll confess stealing something. Okay, this is, this is something that I haven't ever told many people, but I think it's a great time to do it. Um, so when I was uh, in my early 20s, I was broke, broke, broke. I'm still broke, but like, you know, I was living in New York, which is a different kind of broke. Yeah. And um, I lived in this building where there were only eight units and, you know, packages would come downstairs at the entryway. And <clears throat> if something sat for too long, you would look at it and be like, oh, that doesn't belong here. It belongs next door. And I, for some reason, just became like the deliverer of packages and would take things all over. And one day I saw this box and I was like, you know, just passed it. And like 10 days later, it was still there. And I looked at it, it was this huge box. And I was like, oh, that's weird. That's not a number of this building, but it's this building's number. We were only like um, 2E and 2W and 3E yeah. and 3W. And this was like 2C or something like that. So I was like, you know, let me take it upstairs and open it and see if I can find someone's information. And maybe I can have the slip. Sent yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. No, no you're say, not. It's so, a safe space. <laughs> so I took it up to my apartment and I was, like I said, I was baroque and I opened it up and there were 10 pairs of Manolo Blahniks from, <gasps> I won't say what department store, but a very fancy department store. And a friend of mine is a costume designer. And so I'm looking, there's no slip, there's no receipt. This is it's just, I have no idea. It's my address, but not an actual unit in the building. So I called my friend who works with this specific department store doing, you know, um, costume design stuff. And I was like, hey, you know, who would I get in touch with there? You know, there's like 10 pairs of Manolo Blahniks. He was like, those are yours. I was like, no, no, no. He's like, yeah, the, they already probably got reshipped to that. Whoever was needing them, like, those are yours now. And so I sold them all on eBay. Oh, yes. 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 <laughs> yes. And I had rent for like two months. And, and oh, did, that did, did is people great... pay? Did people pay the full price for those no, shoes? No, they didn't pay full price because they were also kitten heels, not cute. And yeah. they're a size women's 11, which oddly I fit and I didn't keep them. <laughs> they were not cute enough. But, um, but yeah, I sold them all. And I sold most of them to this woman in like, you know, Virginia. But, um, uh, not for people long in Virginia. They I know <laughs> a kitten heel. Send it to Richmond. Send it to uh, Richmond. To <laughs> Mariel yeah, that, in Richmond. That's my confession. I don't tell many people that because I know that that is like some sort of theft and fraud, and and it was probably not a good thing to do. But twenty six year old Todd really needed that money, and well, it came in handy. And you mm -hmm. know, I mean, yeah. it's Manolo, but they're not hurting. And that woman got some great shoes at a discount. I, that's, I mean, that's what my friend told me. He was like, the woman who bought these already got her shipment. Yeah. Like, got shipped to the wrong thing. They sent those to her right away. So they, they're counting that as a loss. So they're yours now. I that was like, is a beautiful oh. confession. That's that a great a one. Confession. <laughs> well, I love that. Todd's given us two confessions now. Uh -huh. um, now you have to tell us about your theft. Yeah, Mark. Oh, God. All right. All right. So, <laughs> oh, geez. Okay. So I had a, a roommate in college named Tony Amsbury. He listens to the podcast, so he's going <laughs> to love it. Oh, shit. I have all these straight friends who love our show, and none of my queer friends listen to it. So it's fascinating. No, I love everybody who listens to our show. Um, but uh, he, Tony Amsbury uh, had a girlfriend um, and they were always um, experimenting um, in, uh, in a sexual way in our apartment. And our, our rooms were separately, but I, you know, every once in a while he would like, hey, do you have, you know, you know, he would want advice on certain um, things of a sexual nature. And one time he asked me about kinds of lube that he could get to kind of facilitate some things with the girlfriend. And they were, they were, it was like, he was so nice about it. it. says, oh, you should get this, you know, this kind of lube. And so, and he brought a tube of it, like a tub, like, like, you know, you know, straight guys, they get those big jars of tubs of protein powder. Like he got like an economy size thing, a lube, right? <laughs> so I'm like, oh my God, Tony, how are you going to use all that lube up, right? And because, and at the time I thought that 
loop like had an expiration date. And I thought, and especially in one of these big economy things, like that's going to go bad. It's going to go, <laughs> the lube's going to go bad. So he's like, well, we're going to have to get going. And he, you know, off, so off he went. So then one week um, he was off doing a play. He was an actor. And so he was off doing summer stock and I needed some lube. And so I went into his room to steal some lube from Tony Amsbury's big jug of lube. And it already had emptied halfway. So I don't know what they were doing with this lube. I mean, this, it had been maybe like two months. And that's oh. it, it was a uh -huh. lot of lube. So I go in and I take a thing of the lube, right? And so I kept doing that. Like all, like every once in, I've had a busy summer. So I was like, like for six weeks, I was like every once in a while, I go get some more. And I put it in a little, little like water bottle. One of those little <laughs> ones you get on the plane. So I, I scoop up the lube and I take it in my room. I squirt it out. It'd be all great. And then I get, he, I, I, I like, he's coming back. Right. And I realized like the tube is almost empty of lube now. It's like, like I've, I've, I've almost started scraping this. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have to buy another jug of this lube to replace it with because he's going to know that I was stealing his lube. So I go online because this is, this is, this is like right when like shopping online was starting to happen. And uh, I'm looking for this lube and it's like out of, like I, they couldn't get at the economy size anymore. And I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do? I couldn't get another economy size of it, Kenny. And Kenny's looking at me like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> so I wound up going down. I'm living in Columbus, Ohio, up in Westerville, Ohio, which is the suburb of Columbus. And I go down to Columbus to the gay neighborhood. And of course, I have to go to one of those shops. And I had to buy like 50 of these lubes, like the little ones, to go and put and dump it back into the economy size lube before Tony got got back because I couldn't get another jug of it. Oh my god. It goodness. cost me a fortune. It cost me this is where I lost money, Todd. So the moral of the story money. is get a Costco membership. This was before Costco. This was like <laughs> the early this was the 90s, dude. But that that is a thing. And two, you should always have your own lube. Yes. Always have your own lube and don't steal other people's lube. Even when you're the one who helped him find the lube. First of all, you have spit. I don't know what you need lube for, but um, <laughs> but um, but you could have just put water in there and been like, I don't know. Oh, but he would have known. <laughs> no, he I know because I, I was alone. I oh, oh, I know. And then it's know. weird, and he's straight. Like it would have been weird. Yeah, I mean, the fact yeah, he yeah. asked me about lube, but we should have like set a tone for it. But alas, alas, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, this is wonderful. Wait, do I get to confess or? Yeah, good? I would love for you to confess, Kenny. Okay. I mean, I think I have one that's, I have one confession about sex and I have one that's just like a terrible lie. Do you guys have a preference? I think this, I think I'm going to do the lie one. And then if yeah, you're like, no, if, if you're yeah. like, that's not good, then I'll tell you the sex one. So the lie one is when Sheldon and I moved from Hell's Kitchen to the Upper East Side, we moved into this little, like three-story townhouse um the owner who's who's an older gentleman probably in his late 70s his name is fausto he was like um maybe four feet tall you know like really and like like in his 70s and he um was renting out this apartment i don't know if you're ever in that apartment mark on, it was that like railroad one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i was so, in there i've so been we, to that apartment <laughs> god so when we moved there not all of our furniture fit it was actually smaller than the place we had in hell's kitchen it was a disaster todd i was like who are these who are these weird gays where is that why, why doesn't their furniture fit <laughs> mark snyder it was a cute apartment at the time. It was cute. It was cute. So we we yeah. were moving in and we realized that this couch we had, which was kind of like a ratty couch, wasn't going to fit. And so when we got to the building, we just like kicked it to the curb. Like, But we brought it like halfway down the block or a quarter of the way down the block and left it in front of another building so it wouldn't look like it was ours. So we move Smart. in yeah right we think so um like maybe five or six hours later fausto comes up and he's again like he's really an older man and he's like um there's this couch on the street um is it you know that somebody left is that yours did you guys you know and um sheldon and i looked at each other and we're like no you know it's it, we don't know what you're talking about it's not ours 
And um, I was in, then Faust was like, okay, okay. And he leaves and I'm like, oh my God, why did we lie about that? That was so terrible. Sheldon's like, we're not going to deal with it. Like somebody's going to come get it. The garbage people are going to come. So like an hour or two later, we're like going out to go get groceries or whatever, you know, our first night in the apartment. And there's like Fausto, like moving the couch by himself down the street to get it off the street. And I felt, I've never felt so bad about lying. Like we didn't Aww. help him. We just walked by <laughs> like it wasn't ours. Penny, I'm ashamed of you. I am so ashamed <laughs> of you. I don't know why we didn't just be like, even then, like, oh my God, is it the couch you're talking about? We'll help you move it. Like, we could have still kept our lie and been good, but... Sometimes I think it's important to have those moments because it shaped you. It still sticks with you. So you won't do that again, you know? No, I'll never do that again. Yeah. Very, very think. true. It's very true. <laughs> Sometimes the, the failings are the best, the best lessons. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, the if I ever did get another shipment of 10 sets of Manolo Blahniks, I would sell them again, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't even think that was really a moral <laughs> quandary. I felt like that was a gift the universe gave me. I've stolen lube since this. Yeah. I sound like I haven't. Everyone should nail down their lube yeah. right now because uh-huh. I'm going to take it. <laughs> no, but your story, involves, your story gonna... involves shame, which is a really powerful um, emotion, and it, it does stick with you. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know who's not sh- ashamed? Madonna. She's never ashamed. All. She's not. <laughs> she's like off onto the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, like it or not, she's here to stay. I think that's the kind of the takeaway of the album. And she's that's proven right. it. And um, may we all be so lucky, I guess. Indeed. Indeed. Well, what a gift, Todd, that we got to spend the last song on this album with you and getting to know you and your work and getting to talk about Madonna and life. It's so cool. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me into your world. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) Till next time. Bye. having a i'm having like a you know an artist swoon he was so great thank you so much todd flaherty for joining us oh and what what a talented thoughtful guy oh yeah yeah god yeah even if he did sell those shoes lord (laughs) shoes hey so um before we you know leave confessions there's a couple there's some housekeeping we need to do first well you know i it's interesting i think i think um, Todd kind of alluded to a um, it kind of ending on a, a note of of dissonance, and that we're expecting another song. And there actually was another yeah. song that um, is on um, that came out as a, a bonus track, um, and it's a song called Super Pop. <laughs> version for icon members so icon members did receive this song and apparently it was yes going to be the last song and was pulled from the official album like pretty close to the last minute yeah Um, 
but I fucking love this song. Oh, I do too. I think it's so amazing. It's so frothy and fabulous. Yes. And um and it has some of the best lyrics Madonna's oh. ever put on 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 vine oh. on 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 wax. Okay, what is your favorite what are your favorite lyrics? Um I love if I was a drink I'd be a lemon. Oh, drop. yes, yes. When that when this song came out and she said she was a lemon drop, all I ordered in restaurants, you know, for like was a lemon drop. I was like, oh, I'll have a lemon drop like cuz I'm like Madonna. I'd like a lemon drop straight up. I'd like a lemon <laughs> drop up. Um had I not quit drinking cuz I quit drinking right before this record came out. Um cuz and that summer was the summer of the mojito. Remember oh, the mojito? Yeah. Of course. Yeah, I would have I still lemon love drops. a mojito. I I love um, if I was a genius, I'd be Isaac Newton. <laughs> That's a great lyric. Um, I I love also um if if I was a song, I would be super pop. I just think that's genius. Oh, we, yeah, it should be super pop. I which she is super pop. Um I the section that really cracks me up, and uh, we maybe should play this part is if I was an animal, I'd be a dog. If I was a dog, I would be a man. If I was wow. a man, I'd be the president. If I was the president. Things would be different, right? Um, I love that. I think, first of all, it's bizarre, um, but it's also really fun. And I think the music on this is really fun too. It starts, you know, the original version, right? Be, um, starts with that dun, 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 dun. But then there's that real rhythm guitar in it. It's like, yeah. Dun, 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 dun. It, it sounds a little bit like sidewalk talk. It sounds Ooh, like early yeah. Madonna. It's, yeah, it's, it's like poppy, froppy. Um, and she wrote it with Mirway. Yeah, That's and what's so like thrilling about it. When you think about the mere way contributions to this album, so we have Future Lovers, Let It Will Be, Super Pop, and Fighting, and Fighting Spirit. Spirit. Yeah, It is a very different album, but also an album I'm totally here for. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that probably Fighting Spirit and Super Pop were songs that they wrote early on and before she went into that new direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and But they stayed around until like the last possible uh, minute. Um, I also love uh, this whole verse is like wonderful. If I was a star, I would be who I am today. Yes. If I was a fighter, I'd be Cassius Clay. Yes. If I was emotion, I'd be intense. Yes. If I was a man, I would be president. Ah, be different. <laughs> um, I love at the end of the song, when we get into, if you want, you can reach the top. Reach the top. Yeah. If you do, where are Nikki and Donna for this? Oh, that, that yes. would be. Yes. I would love Nikki and Donna to just soar in for this little moment. Totally. And I think thematically, this connects to like how high. Yeah. And, you know, um, you know what I mean? Like in that, it's like, well, if you're going to go reach for the top, you're never going to stop. You're yeah. Gonna keep going. Yeah. Um, and I love that sense. I just love that too. She's like, she's also like being like, oh, I'm not a pop star. I'm, a super pop star. She's a super pop star, and and um I, and I also I really love uh, the list. I wish Madonna made more list songs. Yeah, because they they are witty and they are there's are the you know we've talked about Cole Porter's influence on Madonna in the past. This feels like you know I I like a little list, and I I think it 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 would have been a kind of like a little had it been on the album like as a boat like a surprise hidden track you know this was during the era when hidden tracks were still being um where you know you'd have two minutes of silence and then the and then the hidden track would oh, start yeah. Yeah. and this would have been a really wonderful kind of like yeah. bonus after the album proper i think oh i love that i mean i think 
yeah, I love that. Love that idea. Um, that yeah. you just like you forgot to stop the you know the CD and then something and keeps playing. Then you're like, what? I just have one line that she forgot to say. <laughs> if I were a podcast, I'd be all I want to do is talk, talk about, about Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> we're not a podcast. We're a super pod. We're a super pod. We are a super pod. We are a Kenny. fucking super pod. We're a super pod. Are you in our gang? Yeah. <laughs> so, Kenny, what? How does? How? What have you learned from talking about this album with me? I mean, we we came in loving this album and knowing its place in the yeah. Madonna kind of um, canon. But what? What did you have any surprises or anything um, that's really been? Well, I think you know us sort of going through. I mean, recognizing the spiritual the spirituality of this album has been uh, yeah more of a surprise than i thought it would be like when we started to really look at it and think like you know uh, in 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 direct relation to american life and i'm going to tell you a secret really seeing this album contextual contextualized that way which i think um at the time when the album came out, I wasn't paying attention to the spirituality of the album or I disregarded it in a lot of ways because what I really wanted was like this dance album, you know? Um, so I guess... Yeah. And we were told right, we right, were getting a what dance I was focusing album. On. But I yeah. guess like... And so yeah. I think that would be the big discovery and that... But I will say the thing that I come away from the this conversation about the album with is... Um, I love it more now than I did when we started. And I didn't think I could love this album more. Oh, and see, I think I was really what, what I've been so blown away by was how, um, how confident and assured oh. the craft is on this record, this album, every single song is so well crafted and made and the hits are fat big hits, big pop songs, and the songs that are deeper and a little bit more experimental are so assured and confident. And in in this moment, and I remember this at the time, but even more so now, Madonna seems unstoppable and not in the way that she felt unstoppable at the end of the Drowned World Tour, like you you shared at the end of that. But this way of like, there's just a, a, a kind of, she's not proving it anymore. And I think that that's, that's what's so powerful about this, this um, era is, you know, and she's this goddess. She is a goddess that is um, coming from up high yes, yes. to give us well like Todd gifts. just said you know oh this is like oh we all want to have our confessions year the year where we're we're you know working on all cylinders like everything is like cooking and in a way too though you can tell that there's a lot of labor that went into this album but it also feels so effortless yeah. like just so smooth yeah um it's such a joy yeah. and I'm yeah. so thankful for it and even more thankful for it now than I even I ever thought I could be. And and I and I think that there's a um there's a humanity to Madonna in these songs. Um she's really admitting and I think that the idea of confessing, you know, we've been talking so much about confessing and confessions. Um almost kind of liberates her from being Madonna in those moments where she talks about the vulnerable aspects and the costs of being Madonna um, without it being kind of like a, a star kind of record in the same way it for, for it being such a goddess record. It doesn't feel like being like, it's not like a big mm -hmm, celebrity. Record, totally. Which, which I, which I think is a really interesting distinction. And I keep thinking about all, you know, the stuff we were talking about, about Greek, gods and goddesses and you know these kind of ethereal creatures that kind of come down with the the ten commandments well, um, or things like yeah. that and god the <laughs> god came down with the ten commandments <laughs> well god didn't god gave him to moses and moses brought him down it wasn't really god that um, came down right 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 okay sure 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 i wonder what moses well, would confess well if you um, watch if we had Moses on our show, one, you know, that there were 15 commandments, but he dropped five on the way down. <laughs> um, um. <laughs> 
Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me. Oh, hear me. All pay heed. The Lord, the Lord Jehovah, has given unto you these 15. Ten, ten commandments for all to obey. Anyway, that's oh God, Mel Brooks. Hey, I'm in the bush belt. Yeah. Hey, we love Mel Brooks. He's yeah, still with us, and I that's agree. a wonderful thing to celebrate. Um, but anyway, on another yeah. note. So Madonna has made a kick-ass album, and it's a big success, and people are reminded of her goddess-like of ability to to rise like a phoenix um and she's about to hit the road again with another big tour um and i think for the first time in a long time she has a a kind of narrative arc to it um that um is going to be really interesting to see on the road and translate it to live performance yeah and she's you know been um this is now the third tour in six years and she's been in this cycle which she's been talking about and so there's it's just like again like she's building she's just in a natural flow that's like building and growing and so yeah what this tour has to offer and what choices they make when we start to talk about it i think we'll we'll be able to see like all the lessons she learned from the other two tours sort of yeah come together in this one in a way that's just a really thrilling moment and, and it must have been very exciting to know uh, for Madonna that um, her fans and um, the world would be waiting for her in a new way that I don't think she'd felt in a while. Yeah. <sighs> Confessions. I'm, I'm thrilled that we were here. I'm sad that it's over. I am too. I am too. But I hope, I hope I've enjoyed talking to you about it. I always enjoy talking to you about everything about Madonna. Everything and anything. <laughs> Till next time. Bye. Have you confessed? Have you? Have you confessed? Are you talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>